0: There was a man named Abraham Who had a wife so fine Sarah was her name Together they would walk in faith And now the two of them Are in heaven's hall the fame They're just two sinners saved by grace Who walk by faith and Not by sight. Yes they did And saw God's power in their lives They served the Lord in all his might Yes they did Yes they did Now when the Lord called Abraham He sent him to a land that was far away from home But Abe was not afraid to go For by his faith in God throughout that land he'd roam He was a sinner saved by grace Who walked by faith and not by sight Yes he did, and saw God's power in his life served the Lord. In all his might he was God's faithful friend the one God swore that he would defend. And by his faith he won God's grace. The man who walked in all God's ways. Yeah. Yes he did. Yes he did. Now Ab and Sarah had no child. Though God had promised them about. To baby boy, but you had gotten very old, it seemed impossible, but their faith would bring them joy, they're just two sinners saved by grace, who are by faith, not by sight, yes they did, and saw God's power in their lives. Please serve the Lord in all his might Yes he did, yes he did So waves the father of our faith He trusted in the Lord as did his faithful wife Two humble souls who walked with God We must now imitate the way they walk through life They're just two sinners saved by grace Who walk by faith and not by sight Yes they did and saw God's power in their lives They serve the Lord in all His might. They walk by faith and not by sight. They walk by faith and not by sight. They walk by faith and not by sight. All right, uh,
1: good evening to all of you. Could you turn your Bibles to uh, the book of Romans, Romans chapter 15, verse 14? Yeah, Romans chapter 15, verse 14. Yeah, you can go down a little bit. All right, uh, we're going to... Um, we have Romans chapter 15, verse 14, and as we, we're we going to have a, a deacon's meeting at the end of uh, service uh, this evening. We actually have our prayer meeting first, and then we'll have our, our deacon's meeting, and... Um, We're going to, uh, this evening, we're going to study Romans 15, 25, and we're going to see Paul uh, stating to the Roman believers that he must travel to to Jerusalem to serve the Jewish Christians before visiting Rome. So we're going to see that Paul is going to continue to serve. That's what a Christian does. Paul's going to serve, and he's going to serve the body of Christ. And by doing so, he serves the head, who is Jesus Christ. So Paul is looking at this service of delivering this uh, gift ...from the Gentile churches, remember the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia... ...which would include the Corinthians, the Philippians, the Thessalonians... ...all those churches that he started, prim- they were Gentile in origin, racial uh, distinction... ...and what he's going to do is he's taken up this offering, it was quite a, a, quite an effort... ...it was a material uh, offering of uh, materials and also financial aid to the poor Jewish Christians in Jerusalem... And uh, they were poor because of their, the persecution that was taking place against Christians in that city, the city of David. And so we're going to be uh, looking at Jerusalem a little bit this evening. And. We're going to uh, look at verse 25, Romans 15:25, And again, we're going to see that Paul saying to the Romans, I must first travel to Jerusalem to serve the Jewish Christians before visiting Rome. So he had unfinished business. And as we're, we've been pointing out in the last several weeks, that Paul is coming to an end of this particular phase of his ministry to the Gentiles. He wants to deliver this gift. It ends up in his imprisonment. And he is actually incarcerated in Judea and Caesarea for about three years uh, two years, I'd say, and because uh, what we see is that in, in the spring of 58 A.D., he wrote this epistle, the Roman epistle in 57 A.D. from Corinth. And then in the spring, what we see is that he sets off to, do, uh, to deliver this gift to the, the poor Jewish uh, saints in Jerusalem. It's a, it's a token of their unity between the Jews and the Gentile believers because the Jewish believers were very suspicious of Paul and the Gentile churches. So this would be a very important moment in the life of the church. It was designed, this gift, this monetary and financial, this financial gift and this material gift was designed to promote unity. And it was an expression of love between the churches. And uh, giving, as we'll be pointing out in the next couple of weeks, because Paul teaches it, is uh, an expression of our love, our love for God and love for the the body of Christ. So without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear the teaching of the Spirit. And uh, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, you should do it. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. Uh, don't insult God by worrying, or concern, being concerned about anything, but listening to what the Spirit says through the communicator of the Word of God. Remember, the Spirit speaks to us through the, uh, the Scriptures, and uh, we need to make sure that we're in fellowship. That means we confess any known sin to the Father. Paul calls that judging the body rightly in First Corinthians chapter 11. Failure to do so, if you don't do that, Paul says you're disciplined in First Corinthians chapter 11. So we don't want that to happen. And of course, God disciplines us to get us to confess the sin and then get back in fellowship with Him. And remember, we maintain that fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit. That's obeying the command of Ephesians 5.18. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day, another day to gather together with the saints, members of the body of Christ, the future bride of Christ. We just thank you for those who have made their way here in this evening to hear the word of God, to hear what the the Spirit says to the churches. And we just thank you, Father, uh, for this building to meet here on a consistent basis and the people that you've raised up that are giving of their time, talent, and treasure and praying for this ministry. We lift up our ministry, Father. We pray, Father, that you would... Reveal to all of us the importance of operating in love toward each other and kindness and forgiveness and toleration and patience with one another and to uh, be obedient to the Spirit and to imitate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we know, Father, that you forgave us through your Son. So uh, convict us and and impress upon our hearts the need to uh, reflect that very same love that you demonstrated toward us through your Son toward each other so we can maintain unity. We know that the, the devil is uh, prowling about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, as Peter said, your servant. And we just pray, Father, for those under attack, that they would recognize the attack and that they would not cut, up, cut themselves off to, from the fellowship of the body of Christ. For their sake, that they would recognize the importance of not forsaking the assembling of themselves as is the habit of some. And so we pray, Father, for that. We pray, Father, for our ministry. And we just know that you're in control and your son, Jesus Christ, is in control and that he walks in the midst of the lampstands and is sovereign. And we know, Father, that we're in your hands and we were from the very first day that we came out here and, uh, in 2001. So, Father, we just pray for that and the deacons' meeting to follow and the prayer meeting to follow that it would be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit and not by the flesh. And we pray, Father, also that the, the, this uh, service this evening would be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit would work mightily and powerfully in and through the, the audience as well as the communicator, so that as a result of this Bible class, the body of Christ would be built up and edified, and that you and your Son, Jesus Christ, would be glorified and magnified, and that with one voice we would praise you and your Son, Father. So, Father, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, as I noted earlier, we're going to begin a study of Romans 15, 25, and 26. These two verses go together. And we're going to see in these two verses that Paul reveals that before he he visits the Roman believers, before he visits Rome to see them, he must first travel to Jerusalem to serve the Jewish believers there by delivering an offering to them from the Gentile churches that he had established throughout the Roman Empire. This is a very dangerous thing that Paul's doing. And in fact, the book of Acts teaches us in Acts chapters 19, 20, and uh, actually we saw it last night in Acts chapter 20, when he had a pastor's conference on the beaches of Ephesus before he took off to go to Jerusalem, and he was weeping with them, and he, they were weeping over the fact that he would not see them again. And also he told them that he knew that, uh, that he was going to en- enter into adversity, that the Spirit was sending him into a dangerous place, and uh, that's why actually Paul solicits the Roman believers to pray for them that he would be delivered from the disobedient Jewish uh, disobedient uh, individuals who were Jewish in Jerusalem who rejected the Messiah Jesus Christ so Paul is uh, going to make this trip so he is going to be still operating and he's still, uh, operating, operating in his servanthood. He looked at himself as a servant and he believed in the principle that you lead by service. And this is what Paul was taught by the Lord Jesus Christ and the apostles were taught that by the Lord Jesus Christ many times in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, John chapter 13, 1 through 17 with the foot washing ceremony. And those would be great in the kingdom of God that would serve the body of Christ. And to do that, we need to operate in God's love. The very same love that God had toward us when we were his enemies, he sent his son to the cross. You cannot survive in the body of Christ and you cannot serve the body of Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to him If you don't know how to love, love with the love of God. And that involves being kind and compassionate, forgiving. Many times the people that you serve might not appreciate what you do and they might uh, be critical of you as whether you're a deacon or whether you're a pastor or somebody in the congregation. You gotta be ready for that. You gotta operate in love nevertheless. We do our job as under the Lord. And Paul did everything as under the Lord. That means he gave his utmost, his 100% effort. He was nothing 50% with Paul. Everything was go, full steam ahead. He loved the Lord, his God, with all his heart, mind, and uh, soul and strength. And his neighbor as himself. So Paul, he's going to take this gift... He could have gave it gave this uh, this job to somebody else, but he felt it important because of these churches that were providing this uh, particular gift for the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem. He thought it was very important. As a token of unity. See, Jesus Christ want, prayed for unity in his upper room discourse. Remember we study that in the, on prayer? It's in our book, The Upper Room Discourse. Jesus Christ prayed for unity in the church. The devil likes to die, divide, seek and divide. And so we need to be aware of that. And so Paul was aware of that. And this gift that he was going to bring to the poor Jewish saints in Jerusalem was a token of the Gentile church's love and love for the believers in, in Judea who were Jewish. This was very, very important because it was a critical time in the life of the church. Because the church, if you look at the book of Acts, which is basically a, a history of the uh, a, a narrative of the early first century church, it started off being primarily Jewish and then it shifted to be primarily Gentile and that's the way it's been throughout the centuries. So there was a transition going on and many people were suspicious of the Apostle Paul because of his teaching and uh, which was really based on was based upon grace. So he was being looked at with suspicion. He was also uh, an individual that was uh, was in great danger going to Judea because they thought he was a traitor. And a traitor to the Jewish people because he went to, to uh, he believed in Jesus Christ and became a Christian, a follower of the way, as they called it back in the first century. So Paul, he didn't care. He was going to serve the saints. He was going to deliver this gift. It was a token of his uh, the Jew, Gentile church's love for the Jewish believers, and it was a token of also uh, unity. Very important that we understand that. Look at Romans fifteen verse fourteen. And concerning you, my brethren. I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, or on the basis of my servanthood for Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, which were mentioned in verse 16. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Notice the secret to Paul's ministry. It wasn't him in his flesh, in his own intellect, doing this. It was Christ, through the power of the Spirit, doing it. And you know that's what takes place in your life. How do you know that Christ is working through you? How are you able to handle adversity and prosperity? Are you, you, do you maintain the same priorities? Or do you get deviated from the track? Many Christians quit on the plan of God. And that's because they're trying to do it in their own flesh and you can't do that. Of course you're going to quit. If I was operating in my flesh, I would have quit a long time ago as a Christian. Forget about being a pastor. So you have to; it has to be Christ working in you. That's the only way you can do it because this is, this is what God wants. He doesn't want us. He wants His Son being manifested in our lives. So look what he says. He goes on to explain what he means by word and deed that Christ worked through him. Look at verse 19. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So right there, that statement says that I accomplished the task that Christ has given me. And now, because in the regions between Jerusalem and Alaricum, the northernmost extremities of the Roman Empire in the first century. That means he was ready to move on. So this is critical to understanding what, was, what Paul was doing in the first century at this particular time when he wrote the book of Romans from Corinth in 57 AD, the winter of that year. So we see that Paul's ready to move on. There's a new chapter in his life coming. And then he says in verse 20, And thus, I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to support what he just said in verse 20, he quotes Isaiah 52, 15. They who had no news of him, the Gentiles, and him being Christ, shall see, and they who have not heard, shall understand. He's speaking rhetorically there. That means both statements are speaking of the same thing that the Gentiles would perceive, understand the gospel, and would believe in it. You and I are actually, as I've been pointing out, a fulfillment of this prophecy. Look at verse 22. For this reason, based upon the fact that I've been working, proclaiming the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have often been prevented from coming to you. So notice that many times he wanted to do it, he wanted to see him, and he had a great affection for him, But he couldn't do it because he had to do his job first. He had more important, bigger, his priorities were to proclaim the gospel church plant from Jerusalem to Illyricum. And he didn't have time to go visit a church that was already established. He had other, Christ had work for him to do. And Paul was, had a sense of urgency in this work. Now look at verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and that doesn't mean he had no place to teach, it means that he had, Done the job, he planted churches in the major metropolitan centers, population centers. And from there, those churches would evangelize their regions. So he says, but now, verse 23, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you, longing there speaks of a passionate desire, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope, or as we saw, I confidently expect to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you. Notice that he is expecting them to take care of him. This was, it was with the, as we mentioned last evening, Christian hospitality. It was taught all the way back from the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were very hospitable, meaning they were hospitable not only to their own people, but to strangers. It's a manifestation of the love of God in our lives. So we see that Paul is expecting this. He doesn't have to tell him about this. This was already taught in the churches, whether it was Peter who started the church or Paul, Christian hospitality. They would open up their homes to people, many times strangers, and there was a very great need because it was very dangerous, dangerous in many of the areas of the Roman Empire to travel, and especially inns were places of ill repute. So Christians who were persecuted and lost their homes and businesses they would migrate, and it was very important that Christians that they ran into would put them up because that was all they had. And so the Christians who were, had their places, their homes, would open up their homes. They would allow the invasion of their privacy to let these Christians into their lives. It's a sign of Christian love. So then he goes on to say, but now, verse 25, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. That's what he's going to do now at this time in his life. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So let's look at verse 25 for the rest of the evening. He says, but now, now this is what I'm going to do at this particular point in my life. I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. So this statement stands in contrast with Paul's statement in verse 24 of his where he talks of his confident expectation of visiting the believers in Rome while on his way to Spain. When he says now, that's the word nini, and that's used to emphasize the present circumstances of Paul and his immediate travel plans at the time of writing to go to Jerusalem and deliver to the Jewish believers there the offering from the Gentile churches and Macedonia and Achaia. When he says, I'm going, we've seen this word already in chapter 15. It's poevama. And it means, it's used literally here, of going from one place to another. It talks about traveling. And it indicates that Paul, at the time of writing, was traveling to Jerusalem. So what was, we call Paul, an itinerant preacher. Jesus was the same way. That means they went from place to place to place. That's not because Paul couldn't didn't have any self-discipline, but it's because he was a church planter. He had to spread the gospel and in as many places he, as he could. That's different from a pastor who will stay in one place many times for many years. Some pastors stay in one place for all, their whole life. And some move on. And some go to different places. It's all up to the plan of God for the pastor where he goes. And Paul, he had to travel. He had to travel. And this is what this word is talking about. It's talking about traveling. Now, it's interesting, if you notice on the board, on the, on the, on the slide... We have the present passive indicative form of this verb. The passive voice is very interesting. It means that Paul, as the subject, is receiving the action of going to Jerusalem. And we know from verse 26, that tells us that he had to fulfill the obligation, Paul did, of delivering aid from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Thus, the expressed agency here was the delivery of this gift. Now, also, the passive voice is what we call a divine passive. That indicates to us that Paul, as the subject, is receiving the action of the verb from an unexpressed agency, namely, the will of God. So this is implied, we know that, because of Paul's statement in verse 32. If you could look at verse 30, please. Look at Romans fifteen thirty. Romans 15, 30, now I, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing company for you. Now in the book of Acts, in chapters 19, 20, and 21, Paul was driven by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit was telling him, we don't have enough time to go there, but uh, if you want an in-depth article about it, it's on our website, in our, uh, on, uh, on the written section of our, our website, where it has the, uh, a, a little article on Paul. It's not a little article, it's a big article. And Paul was actually uh, directed by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem, even though there was danger for him. Prophets would come up to him, people would come up to him and say, Paul, you're going to be put in prison. You're going to be chained. Your trouble is coming to you, and everybody was freaking out. You can't go, Paul. You can't go, and he he had to go, and he had to go because it was the will of God. And as we've been pointing out, sometimes the Spirit guides and directs you into a place of danger and difficulty. We brought that out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jesus was uh, sent uh, by the Spirit to go face the devil alone. He was also sent to the cross by the power of the Spirit. And also we see that Paul was guided and directed to go to Jerusalem, even though it meant that he would be the object of violence, which we've seen in Acts chapter 22. But he went anyways, because he was obedient to the Father's will. So the will of God is for Paul now to go to Jerusalem. And then he's going to go to Rome. So first things first, my first priority, he's saying, is to deliver this gift. It's a huge, I'll tell you what, it's a very big Big event in the life of the first century church because it's mentioned through Paul's epistles. It's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16. It's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. He actually is... Imploring the the Corinthians to fulfill what they promised and provide for these people, take part in the contribution for the poor Gentile uh, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and they were evidently. It looks like they were hesitating about giving to these people, and Paul was reminding them that they should be doing this. This is important, and they promised that they would do this. So Paul was mentioning this uh, gift in his epistles. It was very important because. Again, as I said earlier, it was a design to promote unity between Jewish and Gentile Christians. It was a a symbol of Gentile Christians' love for Jewish Christians. and, and, And that was very, very important. So unity and love go together. When you operate in love, you'll give. And that's what Paul would try to teach the Corinthians. When you operate in love, you will give to people who are other believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to support them, whether it's the pastor or an evangelist or Christians who are poor that are having a hard time of it in other parts of the world. So this, this is very important in the life of the church. Paul found it very important, and so this is why he was personally going to deliver this gift even though he knew he was going to be subject to violence. Now, when he says to Jerusalem, look at verse 25. Romans 15, 25, please. So he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. To Jerusalem is a prepositional phrase. We have the preposition "east," And then we have Jerusalem, which is translated correctly, Jerusalem. Where is Jerusalem? It's the center of the planet. This is where uh, the tribulation uh, will take place. This is where it all centered on. The day of the Lord centers in this particular city. This little plot of ground, it's really not very big. And we see that the whole everything is going to end over there in Jerusalem. It's the center of the planet. It's the center of controversy. It's a stumbling block to the nations. And this place is located along the central mountain ridge of Palestine. It's 36 miles east of the Mediterranean. And it's 16 miles west of the northern tip of the Dead Sea, and it's situated about 2,100 feet above sea level, and it's in a relatively level plateau of the Benjamin uh, Benjamin Benjamite Highlands. On the east is the Kidron Valley. Jesus went through there. Also, that that separates uh, it from the Mount of Olives, where Paul, uh, Jesus used to pray. And on the west of it, we have, in south, by the Hinnom, Hinnom Valley. So here's a picture. Of uh, Jerusalem here for us. If I can get it on a slide on the board here, but uh, Jerusalem was a, was a, a place. Uh, if I can get the slide here, here it goes. All right, and uh, we mentioned we've seen this slide before, but here we have the Dome of the Rock. Remember, in the center of the picture, it's a little dark up there, but if you have the notes, you can see. But this Dome of the Rock here—that's the, the the Muslim mosque. And as I've been pointing out, uh, this is where the, the Herodian temple was. That was in the days of Jesus. This is the Solomon temple was in this area. Uh, many scholars believe, and I do as well. Uh, we saw in Genesis when Abraham offered up his son Isaac. It was on Mount Moriah. And that's what, that's what we believe that, uh, that site to be, and that's where uh, the crucifixion was not too far outside the city on, uh, in Gagatha. Now we see that this place, uh, it, it, the Jesus, the city that Jesus walked, and Paul was way down below this city today. It, the, the ruins are way down deep below, probably 15 or 20 feet down. And so we see that this was the place where we saw the Lord walk. This is where Paul walked. This was the center of the controversy. Uh, of Christianity and Judaism in the first century. And we've seen that Dome of the Rock, that Muslim mosque, uh, in in the Six-Day War in 67, Israel captured the Temple Mount and they had to give it back. In fact, they've been given back land uh, for for the last several decades, given back land that their forefathers had uh, acquired through their own blood. And we see that the that one of the deals that the superpowers, they, they forced Israel, they put pressure on Israel, uh, both the United States and, and Russia, to give up the Temple Mount and give it back to the Muslims. And in fact, today, if a Jew goes up there to pray, he can be arrested. So it's a very dangerous place today and it will continue to increase in danger. It's going to continue... Eventually, the temple is going to be rebuilt here. That I don't know if it's going to be... Who knows where it's at exactly. They're going to build this, this, this third temple. Uh, but we see that it might be right where the the mosque is, maybe an earthquake will hit, wipe out the mosque. We don't know. It's all uh, conjecture. It's all speculation. But we know that this third temple, that Antichrist is going to set himself up in the rebuilt Jewish temple in the middle of the tribulation. That temple is going to be rebuilt. They have the plans for it already. If you go to uh, websites uh, that are related to the, the Jewish temple, and they got all the stuff ready to go. They got the cornerstone uh, ready to be laid down and to build this temple. They got everything ready for the sacrifices and uh, the only thing holding it up is the place to build it. And this is where the controversy is among Orthodox Jews and in uh, the Muslims. So this is what Jerusalem looks like. That's, the, that's the, uh, from the north of Jerusalem, the aerial view. In fact, remember we studied with uh, in Ezekiel, the, uh, the Gog and Magog, we see that the Prince of Russia the the Russian uh, dictator in the tribulation period he's going to come from the north and he's going to be destroyed on the hills of Judea by God it'll be a supernatural deliverance of Israel that's the view he'll probably be seeing when he when they come up those planes when they come flying in uh, in those bombers and they'll be destroyed they'll be thrown into the the Mediterranean Sea now look at Romans 15:25 because he has a, he brings out a, a a word that talks about service here he says but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints the word serving is and that refers to the service that Paul will render to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem by delivering to them the offering from the Gentile churches in Macedonia Paul was one of the greatest leaders of the church outside of the Lord Jesus Christ there was probably no one greater in fact, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God you must be a servant You're not dictatorial, you're not throwing orders around. A servant is someone who's showing example, is serving the body of Christ by example. That's what we're to do. And that's what Christian leaders are to do, and that's what Paul knew. Like I said before, he could have given this off to somebody, it seems like a menial task, but he's going to give, he's going to take it on himself because of the importance of this gift. And he wanted to make sure that everything was in order, that nothing, that everything was on the up and up. He didn't want anybody to speak evil of, of the Gentile churches in this gift. He wanted to bring it. He wanted to make sure it was all in order and so that God would be glorified and there would be unity between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. So Paul understood service. Paul called himself at the beginning of this epistle and all of his epistles pretty much he calls himself... The phulos of Jesus Christ. He is the servant of Jesus Christ. He is a slave of Jesus Christ. And service is when when you serve the Lord Jesus Christ and serve the body of Christ, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ who is the head. And of course, it all starts with love. If you love the Lord, you will serve. You will serve even if nobody appreciates it or even if somebody is attacking you, you always keep doing your job as under the Lord. You never ever quit because of what, how you feel or what people say. You do your job as under the Lord. And Paul, many times, when we study from Jerusalem to Illyricum, how many times that guy could have thrown in the, thrown in the towel with all the adversity he took, and yet he didn't. What kept him going? What kept him serving the body of Christ? Even though the body of Christ many times would not accept his, his, uh, his service and would treat him harshly, like especially the Jewish uh, people. What, what would Paul, his love for the Lord. His love for the Lord sustained him. His love for the body of Christ sustained his service. Very important. Let's, let's take a look at, about, uh, look at service uh, briefly. Look at uh, Matthew chapter uh, 20. Look at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, they called them the sons of thunder because they were always wanting to throw, have God, uh, throw, uh, the Lord throw fire down. Anytime anybody rejected him, he would say, they would say, hey, want uh, send fire down, Lord? And he said, no, 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 no. But look, they were fiery characters, James and John. And he's the called apostle of love, John. (laughs) Look at verse 20. He changed his tune. Look at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making request of him. And he said to her, What do you wish? Now notice he doesn't make fun of her or stop her from making a wish. He invites it. Of course, it's not for him to to, uh, give her this request. But look at what she says to him. She said to the Lord, Command that in your kingdom, that's his millennial kingdom that we've been studying in our Day of the Lord series, command that in your kingdom these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and one on your left. But Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink, the cup of suffering, undeserved suffering? They said to him, we are able, obviously not understanding the full implications of what they were saying, And he agreed with them because he knew down the corridors of time that this is exactly what they would do once they had the Spirit. And he said to them, My cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. Now these are the great apostles. And look how they live in their flesh. They're operating in their flesh. They show that they know nothing about the way Jesus operates, and that's because they didn't have the Spirit at this time. Look at what Jesus says. He talks about serving, verse twenty five. But Jesus called them to Himself and said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. When He speaks to Gentiles, there He's talking about the unsaved, because He's contrasting uh, uh, Jewish believers with the unbelievers. And they're great men, the Gentiles, great men." exercise authority over them it is not this way among you but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant so if you are if you are not a servant and you're not serving how the heck can you be great in the kingdom of god that's something you should aspire to because it brings glory to god how does it bring glory to god you're, re- you're revealing that you're being guided and directed by the Spirit And re- Christ is being revealed in your life Because that's what Jesus did So we see that if you're going to serve that's, the- that's how you become great in the kingdom of God The world says it's about giving out orders And it's, a go- it's not to say that a servant like Moses didn't give out orders He had to Or Paul or Jesus However, it's based upon serving That's what you do. If a pastor, he's got to look at his ministry as serving. Now, how does he serve? He feeds them the word of God. And that's how you serve. Paul mentioned that in Acts chapter 20 last evening. He says, my conscience is clear. I'm I'm, uh, I'm, uh, innocent of everybody's blood here because I proclaim the full counsel of God to you. When we studied that last evening in Acts chapter 20. So we see that he's, he's saying here, he's talking about, You want to be great? See, they were all looking at it from the worldly viewpoint. He's saying, you guys are of a different spirit. Verse 26, it is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Sacrifice! It might cost you something. To serve the body of Christ. It might cost you time. It will cost you money. It will cost you time with your family. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. That's the way it is. And many, many don't want to make that sacrifice. And it's because they fail to say that the Lord made a great sacrifice for all of us. And thus we're obligated and we should want to, desire to, willingly serve Him. Even if it means the loss of our possessions, even if it means the loss of finances, even if it means the loss of friends and family members, all for the sake of Christ. Isn't that what Abraham was willing to do? He was willing to sacrifice Isaac, his beloved son, because that's how much he loved the Lord. Nothing came between him and the Lord, not even his precious son. He was willing to sacrifice his son because he wanted to obey the Lord. That was most important to him, serving the Lord. Obeying the Lord, even if it means costing me my beloved son, Isaac. That's service, people. He he who does not deny himself and take up his cross daily is not worthy to be my disciple, Jesus said. It's talking about the loss of self. That's the true happiness. That's where you find true happiness in life. That's the secret to Christian service. Paul knew that. He didn't care about his life. He didn't care what was going to happen to him. We saw in Acts chapter 20 last evening. He didn't care what was going to happen to him. If they kill me, good, let them kill me. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm serving the Lord. And if I die in the service of the Lord, if I die in the service of my, my heavenly country and my heavenly sovereign Jesus Christ, so be it. What a great thing to have happen to me. If I lo- And he did lose his life for the sake of Christ. Now look at John 13. Why am I taking these passages? Because Paul talks about serving and in romans fifteen twenty five the poor jewish saints in uh, jerusalem look at john thirteen one the gospel of john john thirteen one john thirteen one now before now this is this is the uh, what we call uh, the Upper Room Discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and seventeen are all chapters that deal with the Church Age. He hardly ever. He only. What is it? Matthew sixteen. He talks about you know uh, uh, the Church for the first time, but here he speaks of it in detail. It was a mystery that the, the Church. It was not known to Old Testament prophets. The Church and Jesus is talking about servanthood right off the beginning. With them. To serve each other. Look at verse 1. Serving each other promotes unity. When we serve self and we have our own agendas, what's going to happen is you're going to have disharmony and disunity. Look at John 13, 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. How did he do that? He served them. He gave them the word of God. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Now remember, I've mentioned it in the past, in the ancient world, when you walked into somebody's house, a slave washed your feet. They, had, they were girded with a towel and they would wash your feet. Now remember, Jesus is a, an esteemed rabbi, the biggest Bible teacher, the greatest faith healer, the greatest healer of all time. He's the son of God. And here he is, He is going to take the position of a slave. Everybody was gone. Nobody knew about this meal. It was secret because of the Jewish authorities. Jesus wanted to keep it secret. And he's doing this. It's just them and the apostles. So the servants are all gone. And nobody washed their feet. Nobody took it upon themselves. The initiative, not Peter, not John, not James. None of them took the initiative to wash each other's feet. It was beneath them. Well, it wasn't beneath Jesus' feet. Look at verse 5. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And I'll tell you right now, all their faces are dropped. What? They couldn't believe this. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. Watch the reaction it tells you. Look at Peter's. So verse 6. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord... Do you wash my feet? It was disgusting. It was repulsive that his Lord would be doing such a menial task. It was beneath Jesus. Look at Jesus' answered, and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. When they got the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. He's talking about fellowship. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then typical Peter, then wash, and you got to love Peter because he says a lot of things that we probably would say there too. So we can't make, get too mad at him. He's pretty cool. Uh, even though he puts his foot in his mouth all the time. Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. There's two different words going on with bathe. Bathe them, he's talking about being uh, washed all over totally washed over. The other one, wash his feet, is a different word which talks about fellowship. Bathe talks about being saved. Washing the feet talks about Christian fellowship. But So he says in verse 10, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, saved. And you are clean, saved, but not all of you. Of course, Judas Iscariot. Look at verse 11. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason he said Not all of you are clean So when he had washed their feet And taken his garments And reclined at the table again He said to them Do you know what I've done to you? And nobody knew Because none of them had the spirit They weren't thinking spiritually They were fleshly men here Look at, Listen to me All these guys had businesses Everybody thinks the apostles were like um, paupers John, James They had fishing businesses They had servants Peter was a fisherman. He had his own business. Matthew, the tax collector, was loaded. He had money. Tax collectors were wealthy. So these, these guys were not beggars. They were businessmen, just like a lot of you guys who are businessmen, just like us. Just like you. I'm not really a businessman. But we see that, we, that this is what he's talking to them, and they're looking at things from a fleshly perspective, not spiritual yet. Not yet, they haven't got to that point yet Because they haven't got the spirit yet Look at verse 13 You call me teacher and Lord And you were right, for so I am If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet You also ought to wash one another's feet If Christ has washed our feet We're obligated to wash each other's feet Not literally I'm not going to go up to Doug Jungie or Steve uh, Becker Or Dale Leff-A-Bures and and take their boots off and wash their feet I'm sorry and I don't think they're going to want to do that with me either, but what he's talking about is serving each other. Look at verse 15, "For I gave you an example that you also you, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, I say, truly, truly, I say to you, it means I mean business. A slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you. Do them. Blessed means happy. Do talks about application. So we see there that's, that he's talking about Christian love. Look at verse 34. Look at John 13 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And don't miss this by this, by loving each other. And how do you do that? Serve each other? All men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. Paul, let's remember where we came from. Paul is going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. He's going to serve the Jewish Christians there, many of whom looked on Paul with suspicion. Going to deliver this gift from the Gentile churches and Macedonia and Achaia. He's going to wash the feet figuratively of the Jewish saints there. He's doing this out of love for them. He's imitating Jesus. What drove Paul to do this? To go into danger, into Jerusalem, knowing he's going to get arrested, knowing the Jewish, the the unbelievers that are Jewish there, are going to put him into prison, they're going to try to kill him. He goes anyway because Jesus loved him that way. Jesus loved Paul that way. What what could make, as I brought it out a couple of weeks ago, what could cause Paul to do such wonderful things? Love. It's love. Love will get you through anything. Your love for the Lord. Love will, will, will drive you to obedience. Your love for the Lord. And how do we love the... How, why should we love the Lord? Didn't he come to send, go to the cross for us? Paul, great secret of Paul's life. Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not that I, I don't live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself up for me. That's the secret of ministry there for Paul. I don't care what happens to me. I'm serving my Lord. I'm going into danger. I'm going, I don't care. What's driving me? My love for the Lord. Why, why do I love the Lord? He went to the cross for me. He sacrificed for me. Now go back to Romans 15, 25. Please. So in Romans 15.25, Paul says, But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. And that word serving, remember, is uh, the participle form of the verb theakaneo. Thea, and this refers again to the service that Paul will render to the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem by delivering that monetary and uh, uh, material gift from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, the word is a, what we call a telic participle. That means it's a purpose, a participle of purpose. And that indicates to us something. It indicates that the purpose of Paul's visit to Jerusalem was to not to have entertainment or to see his family, but to serve the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem by delivering the offering to them from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Nicaea. It's what we call, it's in the present tense. It's a futuristic present. And you would never know this unless you knew the original language. And that's why God has given me the gift of pastor, the teacher, so I can tell you what it actually says. And this futuristic present is, presence is cool. It's used here to describe the immediacy that Paul's going to serve the destitute Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It indicates that at the time of writing, Paul was soon going to Jerusalem, for he will soon be going to serve the saints there. So when he says, I'm going to serve the saints there, the futuristic present says... I'm soon to be going. That means he hadn't taken off yet. He's writing from Corinth. It's still winter of 57 AD, but it's imminent. He's talking about the imminency of this thing. It's a very big event. And he says he's going to deliver, he's going to serve the saints. The word saints is the substance and form of the word ios, which describes all the members of the body of Christ in Jerusalem who've been set apart through the baptism of the Spirit at the moment of salvation ...in order to serve God. So what we see in verse 25 this evening... ...Paul informs the Roman believers... ...that at the time of writing this epistle... ...the Holy Spirit permitted him to travel to Jerusalem... ...for he was soon going to serve the saints in that city... ...which stands in contrast with his confident expectation... ...of visiting them on his way to Spain. Now as we're going to see tomorrow in verse 26... ...Paul informs the reader... ...that he was going to serve the saints in Jerusalem by delivering to the destitute believers in that city an offering from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia. Look at verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So this offering, as I've been trying to bring out, is often mentioned in Paul's writings. It was the major focus of his third missionary journey. And it 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 was a major focus because each letter... In each of his letters he wrote of the journey. He mentions it in 1 Corinthians 16. He mentions it in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Two chapters were devoted to it. Because the the Corinthians were attempting to bail on him. And it's also mentioned this offering is mentioned in Acts chapter 24 verse 17. Look at uh, hold your place. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Look at 1 Corinthians 16:1. 1 Corinthians 16, one. Now concerning the collection for the saints, I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. He's telling them, whatever you've been making, put aside a percentage of that as God has prospered you. So he says, on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. I want it ready, he's saying. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. But I will come to you after I go through Macedonia, for I am going through Macedonia. And perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter. And he did, he wrote Romans from there in 57 AD, so that you may send me on my way wherever I may go. Remember last evening, send me on my way talks about providing him with finances uh, a means of travel traveling companions if necessary it's called christian hospitality he was expecting it that's what they did they didn't have anybody tell they, this is what they did this was a, a the, the modus operandi the method of operation in the christian churches look at the second no, corinthians chapter uh, 9 look at second corinthians Or actually, look at verse 2 Corinthians 8.1. He talks about this offering in these two chapters. I'm not going to read both chapters, but I'll flip around on it. But I want to just show you something about... uh, Remember Macedonia and Achaia? Macedonians... I think it's tomorrow night we're going to see this. The Macedonians were unbelievable, generous people. The Philippians came from that area... They actually sought out what Paul's needs were while he was in prison and sent him a gift with Epaphroditus. These people were tremendous lovers and great givers. Look at 2 Corinthians 8.1 Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia that in a great deal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty they weren't rich overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of of their own accord, begging us. Boy, what a pastor and and the treasurer would love, of a church would love to have people begging to give in churches today. They begged us with much urging for the favor of participation and the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first, this is, here's the key, when you do it under the Lord, when you give for the, for the, as under the Lord, look what he said, they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So there's a mentioning of the offering ...right there in 2nd... ...and mention the Macedonians and they... ...again, we'll mention it tomorrow evening... ...about them, we'll talk about them more in detail tomorrow... ...but they were very gracious givers... ...and they were great lovers... ...remember, love is a manifestation... A giving is... uh, ...grace giving... ...is a manifestation of the love of God in our lives... ...now, the Jerusalem church was destitute... ...undoubtedly... ...because of the persecutions... ...because for a Jewish believer to trust in Jesus of Nazareth as Savior, result in ex- an expulsion from the synagogue. Consequently, this meant being barred from Jewish life people. So for a Jewish believer in Jerusalem, Judea, to believe in Jesus, he was chucked out of the synagogue. This was happening at the end of Jesus' ministry. Nobody wanted to say anything, I, oh yeah, I'm on Jesus' side. Nope. Very few people would do that, because they knew they kept kicked out of, out of the synagogue. If that happens... That meant you were barred from Jewish life, you washed your home, your business, you would, and not to mention friendships, and you were disowned by family members for the sake of following Christ. Now, some of us have gone through uh, persecution from family members and, and made fun of because we, go, we, we became Christians, born-again Christians, or we go to this church. And, you know, that's part of... That's nothing compared to what the Jewish believers in the first century had to go through and what many believers throughout the world have to go through. But to believe in... There's a pastor, Azzam, that, that, that uh, over in uh, Pakistan, I think it is. He had a... He, he, the Muslims want, had a contract got him. you got so many days to get out of town. Well, otherwise, we're going to kill you and your family. No questions asked. They got him. They bought him 4000 JGBC, I think, people who go to that church, $4,000, they coughed up to go and, and at least 4,000... to send him and his family back on a plane trip back to save this guy's butt from getting killed. That's, that's love. Now, here's a map. We'll quickly look at it because we're, we're coming near the end. Here's the map of Paul's third missionary journey. If you go to the right side of the map and uh, you see Antioch, that's where the, the Gentile churches... Uh, basically, the churches there. The church actually took off from that particular point in Syria... That's where Paul's home base was. And that's where he was sent out. And so we see he went across Cilicia. He went across Galatia. And he went over through Asia. And he went all the way up through uh, to Macedonia. He crossed the Aegean Sea. And he made his way down south into Achaia to Corinth. On the left side of the map, you'll see Corinth. That's is where he's writing Romans from. And he's going to backtrack. He's going to go back up to Macedonia to, to Berea. He's going to go to Neapolis where he's going to take a ship there, go across the Aegean Sea, go back into the continent of Asia, and then he's going to make his way across the Mediterranean Sea, right below Cyprus, and then he's going to go to Tyre, and then a hop, skip, and a jump down south to Jerusalem. That's the third missionary journey. He's carrying this gift with him. I mean, it must have been massive, because you're talking about materials and money that he's bringing with them. Quite a job. And it must have been a stressful thing to deal with. So this is what Paul's doing. He's going to deliver this gift from the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia. Deliver it to the, this is the trip he takes to deliver this gift, and a very dangerous one. Not to mention the travel. Going to Jerusalem was dangerous enough, but the travel was dangerous as well. So therefore, he needed a lot of prayer. So undoubtedly, Paul thought this offering to be important because it would serve to build unity. Among the Jewish and Gentile believers And thus it would serve As a symbol of unity among believers Giving here was a symbol of unity Giving based upon love for the Lord Jesus And the body of Christ Now I just want to make, uh, give uh, two uh, quotes From a, a man named Leon Morris Who has a commentary on Romans And also uh, Mounts, uh, William Mounts Now Morris says the following about this offering And I'm quoting from him He says that this offering was a token of fellowship between Christians in the heartland of the Jewish way and Gentile believers. Some early Christians, he says, held that all converts ought to be circumcised and to live according to Jewish law. Paul had a continuing controversy with people who held such opinions. His collection would show that those who rejected this hardline conservatism were nevertheless bound to Jewish believers and ties of Christian Love, And also, that's the end of that quote. Mounts, one more quote, he says the following. It was important for the Jewish Christians to understand that the contribution provided by the Gentile believers demonstrated their love and affection for their brethren in Christ. God's love binds together all believers, regardless of ethnic origin. The contribution made by the Gentile church expressed in tangible form the bond of Christian unity that surpasses artificial barriers of race, end of quote. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone in the chapel. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of each of your people, each one of us. And that we would make the proper application and be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction as you would would have us to do with this information that we were provided for this evening by the Spirit. And we also pray, Father, for the prayer meeting that it would be guided and directed by the Holy Spirit and the fellowship would be as well after, as well as the deacon's meeting that you'd have your hand upon the deacon's meeting as well. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we'll take a couple of minute break and then we'll do our prayer meeting.